Yeah, so why why are we having this conversation? So the, way, the reason we're having this conversation uh, is for, uh, I suppose, some philosophical discussion, I guess. So at Econoboy, this was, gosh, this was like three weeks ago. The French anti-hijab and niqab laws are seriously stupid, and they're a violation of basic rights. There's no place in society for the anyone, nice job, Econoboy, to tell a woman what she can or cannot wear. This is discrimination, plain and simple. This was a reaction to Anthony Eden hate account, which you can find on Twitter, although um, this person uh, protected their tweets recently, so I'm not really sure what is up with that. But essentially, this tweet that I was responding to was uh, kind of a retweet of just like the announcement that they were going to make it harder to wear a hijab or niqab in public in France. I believe it was France that they were talking about specifically. And, you know, basically, I just said that that was stupid for a number of reasons. Uh, I do think that in leftist spaces, there is sometimes uh, Islamophobia, which I think that we should probably argue against. Um, and I, I would say just for, like, big tent purposes as well, it's probably not good to, like, be, like, militant, like, Reddit atheists uh, as well, where we just, like, hate all religious people, <laughs> essentially, or have these, like, sort of strong, you know, bombastic criticisms of religious people. That's for the most part. It's not a universal rule. But anyway... Uh, at some point, Philosophical Zombie Hunter, who I believe we may have uh, spoken to once or twice before, I'm not really sure. Um, I think my views on anarcho-capitalism, anarchism in general, have developed a lot since we last spoke. Uh, and my views on maybe economics and like productive organizations probably evolved quite a bit. Um, but as well, my view on rights and the foundations of rights evolved quite a bit. On the rights question, probably not as stable a foundation as I would like, uh, but essentially I've got some basic understanding of where I think rights get derived from and like why they're important, things like this. And philosophical zombie hunter to the phrase uh, violation of basic rights. He knows I'm a utilitarian, like kind of progressive type. He says, um, what was that? Basic rights. So now you want rights to Trump utilitarian democracy. <laughs> there you go. Hello. Well, all right. Well, Hey, I just spoke to, uh, the streaming audience about kind of how this conversation came about, probably roughly what we're going to talk about, and um, you know perhaps some predictions of what we might talk about in the future. So I guess from your perspective, uh, what are we meant to talk about in this conversation, and what are your general feelings about what we're meant to talk about? Uh, yeah, so I was a little bit surprised on Twitter when you said that uh, but you were talking about basic rights. In in the context of when you posted that tweet, I think about two days earlier, you had a, a poll saying, is it not that bad to steal from the rich? Or something along those lines, from, from my interpretation, <laughs> is that property rights are something that, you know, we can we can take as we, we as a society see that we, we, we are allowed to violate them. And property rights being a, a part of individual rights, it just seemed strange to me. That was that was the context of my comment. Um, looking further into the actual law in France, and, and bear in mind, I'm in the UK, so I, I have a little bit of understanding the similar laws that, that could be there or the differences that could be there. I don't actually see, um, and in the context of France, I don't actually see too much of a problem with with the law that they're enforcing. The law existed before. Uh, they're just enforcing a new 
variant of something recently, and um, <coughs> I, I'm I'm just I'm just surprised. If if I can summarize just very quickly, I'm just surprised that you're taking this position, and I'll explain I'll explain why. From a from an individual rights point of view, oh well, sorry, from individual rights, like I, you you never seemed like this was so important to you up till now. From a utilitarianism point of view, the law itself is very popular with the people of France. I think about 80% approval. Uh, the high courts approved it as well. And if, let's say, you say that your moral framework is, is egalitarian and not utilitarian, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how, how you can say that you know, women covering themselves up is, a, is, is egalitarian. So lay yeah. it on me. Explain to me what, uh, what you think. Uh, yeah, sure. So I talked about it with Chad a little bit uh, before this, and you know I'm not sure you know if if the French anti-hijab niqab law is is really a you know really a, a very good example. We can go with that, or we can go with other examples as well. You know, you talk about somebody stealing from a rich person. You know, the poll that I posted, which uh, a bit under four thousand people voted in, uh, which I don't know. I mean, obviously these are four thousand people that are probably skewed towards some progressive like Democrat let's say, like, American Democrats' perspective, just because those are people answering my poll, um, the poll was basically saying, if you stole $100, if you, if you had to choose between essentially stealing $100 from a rich person or a, per, or a poor person, you know, 100, like, just nominal dollars, which one morally is worse, right? Now, um, some people did say it was equally bad. Uh, some people said it was actually worse to steal from a rich person, although, based on the replies, a significant number of those people accidentally clicked that it's worse to steal from a rich person but let's just say that you know whatever the number of people who said stealing from a poor person is worse than a rich person it seems like about uh what is this about like 82 83 percent of people said you know essentially morally speaking it's worse to steal the same nominal amount from a poor person than a rich person just for like obvious reasons that you know a rich person probably doesn't like materially need that hundred dollars more than a poor person um, but obviously that's not really a comment on whether or not stealing is right or wrong. You know, you could certainly say it's wrong to steal a hundred dollars from a rich person, but then at the same time say it's worse to steal a hundred dollars from a poor person. And so that's not really a comment on whether right, or not I, it's good to I, steal or not. I appreciate that. I just, um, it just seem it just seems like there was kind of like a leaning, maybe progressive towards, yeah, it's not as bad to steal from the rich person, assuming that they have more money. So it's, it's okay. It's just. It's just you know it's uh, us uh, us uh, free market people you know we don't we don't like to hear that kind of stuff but in the context of of the it's not niqab it's a a bio, new abaya law um, make what do you well, think sure, I mean, was wrong with it what what do you think or where do you think uh, individual rights trump utilitarian concerns. Yeah, so I would I would pretty much ground all these things in the form of some sort of utilitarian analysis, right? So I, you know, I would call myself, a, let's say, like someone who is uh, concerned with egalitarianism, right? Like I want people to be roughly equal, and I think inequality does have a lot of problems. But I think that um, one of the, let's say, like the worst things about inequality is all the negative downstream effects of high levels of, let's say, like social or economic inequality. Um, you talk about the, well, how is it how is it equal if, I guess, a Muslim woman wants to wear a hijab, 
but a Western, um, like more like traditionally Western woman doesn't want to wear a hijab. Like, how is that equal? Well, I would just say it's equal because they can both make the choice as to what to wear. Now, I'm not in favor of like religious indoctrination of children, right? So, you know, if somebody says, you know, I'm going to force my uh, nine-year-old daughter to wear a hijab, you know, I would say that's like a really fucking crazy thing to do. And I don't think people should do that. But then we just get into the question of like, what should the role of the government be in kind of trying to embolden or curtail a parent's ability to teach their children about their own religion? And I'm not really sure if there is an extraordinary role for government in that regard. Again, based on utilitarian ethics and frameworks, just the idea that it's probably it probably wouldn't work out too well if the government said, you know, you're not allowed to do like, I don't know, you're not allowed to send your kid to Sunday school, right? Like, that probably wouldn't work out very well for a number of reasons. Um, and it's a matter of, like, do you really trust the government to do certain things? And I would say, you know, regulating individual personal religious behavior insofar as that religious behavior isn't sort of, like, immediately physically harmful um, or, like, very psychologically harmful, then uh, probably there's not a role for the government uh, to take place, right? And so... That's how I would ground things to answer your question, short answer to your question. You know, I'm a utilitarian, and so I would kind of just say what, is, what would kind of make sense for the government to guarantee or the government to, like, establish a right. I think of rights as essentially guarantees from the government um, and just kind of go from there. You know, what's, what's a, what would kind of work out for the government to guarantee and what would probably not work out for the government to guarantee and um, why would... Maybe it would make sense for certain governments to guarantee some things and not others, right? We just have to kind of just have that conversation, so. Okay. Before we have the conversation, with regards to egalitarianism, as, as, as a moral system, would you say that uh, women covering their hair for religious reasons, and, and, and bear in mind that the context of why they're doing that, why <coughs> they're doing that is so that men don't lust after them. Just, this is just the, the reason for it, the religious reason for it. Um, would you say it's more egalitarian for them to to wear uh, a hijab or not to wear a hijab? Um, so again, I mean, I wouldn't really, I just, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I wouldn't really frame egalitarianism in that, I suppose, in that way, right? I, I think that there's there's probably reasonably different ways that we would apply egalitarian thoughts and viewpoints and sympathies. Again, I would not, I like, strictly speaking, I guess I wouldn't call myself an egalitarian, I typically do call myself an egalitarian because I have a lot of egalitarian sympathies, but um, obviously there are things that I would probably prioritize over literal strict egalitarianism. And in the case of like a woman, like say that you have two adult women, uh, they both grew up in France going to French public schools, and um, one of those women is, let's say, a Pakistani immigrant, and another one of those women is, you know, the herpes, she can trace her ancestry back to. You know, the French nobles, like her family's been in French France for a long time, let's say. Um, and for all intents and purposes, these people are essentially living the exact same life. Let's say they also had a secular upbringing and nobody like forced them to wear a job. So just take that out of the equation for a second. One of these women chooses to wear a job. One of them doesn't. I don't really quite see that as like anti-egalitarian. It's not egalitarian in the strictest sense because one woman's wearing a hijab and one woman isn't. You could just as easily say it would be egalitarian to have the other one wear hijab. Uh, I would just say, hold on. I ultimately, think I, adults can wear I what think, they want, right? And that's kind of the rule that I would apply. Right. Adults, adults can wear what they want. And I, I, let, let me phrase it in, in another way. I, I have the legal right to attach a, 
a ball and chain to my ankle and walk around impeded that way. That that's sure. I, I I have the legal no one can stop me, no one can, can take that away from me. In in a similar context to how these women like wrap themselves, I guess maybe I'm not using the, the best metaphor, but just bear with me for a second. The okay. idea of me having the individual right to make the mistake of, of wearing a ball and chain and seeing that it's not good for my, you know, e- e- self-interest, uh, rational self-interested concerns is that I'm allowed to make the mistake and I'm allowed to learn from the mistake and then I'm the one who would take it off my ankle. I don't need, I, in a sense, I don't need the government deciding for me what I should or shouldn't do. Now, in the context of, of France, a country specifically that's not very shy around uh, nudity, female nudity in terms of art or just the culture itself. And there isn't the risk, let's say, the, the ra- let's say you say this is, a, this is a religious concern, but it's also a rational concern that these women, you know, men last after them and it's uh, endangering their safety. In France, that is not the case. And it is just like a form of, anti-egalitarianism that one woman is covering herself up because of religious reasons not not the underlying religious not the underlying natural rational concerns I'm, I'm not even sure it's a rational concern let's just say it is for argument's sake so putting these women in these covers and making them different not not equal to other women i would say is anti-egalitarian just on the face of it now obviously I mean, they should have yeah, the right to they should have the right to but not but in this context, it seems a, li- a little strange to, to say that. I mean, I get what you're saying. It's just the issue is that from, you're, you're only speaking really from one perspective. Like, it's just as reasonable, I think, from, like, let's say, a first principles point of view for a hijabi or an akambi to say, oh, well, you know, I just want to cover myself because I don't, I'm not really comfortable with the idea of, like, men looking at me and, uh, in a, you know, in a, in, a, in a, let's say, sexual way or, let's say, uh, much more simply, like my the curves of my body and the hair on my head and things like this. Like I want to save that. That's a special thing for me. I w- I only want my husband and my, um, you know, men, men and basically in my family uh, and women to see that from me. Um, but in terms of other other men, I, I'm not really comfortable with that. Like it's just as reasonable for that woman to say, well, it's kind of unequal because these other women are walking around not covering themselves and basically just like letting any guy who wants to see the curves of their body, see their hair, see it, you know, I'm viewing that as unequal. And I feel like what you're kind of hiding in that is like unequal in a bad way. But, you know, I just wouldn't really think of it like that. Again, adults are free to make their decision. It's almost like saying, oh, um, is, you know, is, a, is, a, is, an, is an adult who chooses to study engineering unequal to an adult choosing to study sociology? I mean, I guess so. In a number of ways, they're not equal. They're studying different uh, subjects. They have different sort no, of outcomes. I, but... Yeah. Certainly, not, I wouldn't say they're unequal just because they're making a different choice to study a different subject, right? Well, I, I don't. A weird way to. I don't think that. I don't agree that they aren't making a choice. They're they're following uh, religious instructions, which is is there to make them unequal or make them different from from men or from or from other women. I, I it doesn't seem to, like you you can phrase it and say, I I I will I willfully make this choice, but it's it's part of you know that specific culture or that specific religion and and again there, there could be you know other muslim women that choose not to cover their hair especially in the context of of you know western countries where the, they want to express themselves they want to look attractive or or like let's say not not uh, just like just look pretty just like why women wear makeup because it makes them feel nice 
and they like to to show off their hair it's not not necessarily that doing that means that they have like a green light for all sexual predators but like this is i just like to feel nice and they're not allowed in this context especially in being in a, in a western country where the environment is very open and very like covering the hair is the least thing french people wor- worry about that's like or like last over that's well, like I mean, there's, there's many I other mean, things take france take france out of the example and just say like let's say a uh, western country where they don't have this anti-hijab law let's say like america for instance right there's a shitload of adult muslim women in america who choose to wear a hijab or even niqab okay wait let me let me just, hijab, just one second well, hold no, on because no no it's not because it, no, it, it's not uh, it's not a good example let me just say something and then you can continue okay. there isn't an there isn't an actual anti-niqab law I, I think we should clear that up before before we continue because the the law is the law specifically and i can explain what is a, a sort of school uniform for children aged between three and 16. so it's not that no it's not the case that any woman in france is not allowed to wear an abaya or niqab or hijab it's kids in public schools specifically have to follow a certain dress code and that dress code means that they can show any conspicuous conspicuous religious symbols not sikhs not jews not christians not muslims yeah i don't i I see what you're saying i think that that might be an incomplete understanding at least from what i've read I, i think that there are more restrictions when it comes to wearing uh hijab and like covering yourself i mean there were like pretty bombastic news stories from I mean, this was from, honestly, a pretty long time ago, like six, seven, eight years probably, where there were these bizarre scenarios where um, women would basically have to wear less clothing on beaches because if you were wearing like a burkini, burkini that would be yeah. considered... Yeah, I, right? I remember, like, I remember the is, burkini. Yeah. So this is just this is just part of a, a broader effort where they're just simply trying to discourage what they view as a sort of you know, negative religious indoctrination. Like, I understand, like, we can frame it any way that we want. It's just, in general, it seems like the government's taking the position, we don't want women to wear hijabs, right? Or niqabs or whatever it is, right? Um, And so, you know, that's not, you know, really the exact French, the reason I bring it to the American example, the exact French law isn't quite as important if we're having a more inherent conversation about what rights should be afforded to people or like government guarantees, let's say, the reason I talk about the American example is because, you know, an adult woman in America is perfectly free to wear a hijab, not wear a hijab. Now, you're right in saying that there might be, like, very harsh uh, social consequences for doing that. For instance, in America, it's not illegal to be gay, but if you grew up in a very religious, conservative, rural Christian community, you're perfectly legally free to be gay. But obviously, if you are gay in that scenario, you're probably going to be completely shunned from your family. You're probably going to be cut off from financial support. Like, that's a really potentially traumatic and, like, arduous experience. But I'm not disagreeing with that. It's just to say that the government probably doesn't have a place, in my view, for regulating the personal behavior of women. Um, You know, if you wanted to narrow it out and say, well, if we have certain uniform standards for women Mm -hmm. or, like, young girls, let's say, who are in grade school, should we basically say that young girls are not... uh, permitted to wear hijab in public schools again i would say no i think we probably shouldn't have laws like that just because um let's say practically and intuitively to me it probably wouldn't lead to positive outcomes for a number of reasons 
But that's obviously very debatable. I don't know of any sort of experimental, like, sociological studies that, like, compare and contrast the psychological or, like, long-term outcomes of women who were forced, you know, to wear hijabs by their families when they were young uh, girls who didn't later on, or vice versa, right? It's just, I don't know, it's hard to really come to a definitive conclusion in that regard, but... Yeah, okay, that's let's, uh, kind of where I'm coming from. Let's let's hear why the French people decided to to enact this kind of law. So, okay, in, in the French Constitution, uh, there's a preamble that refer. I'll, I'll read this out just quickly because I, I I don't want to you know miss uh, not explain it as well. Uh, in the French Consti- Constitution, there's a preamble to the Declaration of Rights of Men and 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 the Citizen of 1789. Which yep. proclaims equality, liberty, and fraternity for all citizens. This is a foundational document emphasizing the separation of power and the importance of a secular state. So, they see equality. This is this law is in the context of equality, but they see equality and neutrality as the same thing. So, specifically, this law is around the law called laïcité. Laïcité is a base is based of the, on the principle of equality and neutrality by restricting the display of religious symbols. Schools seek to create an environment where all students are treated equally, regardless of their religious background. The idea is to avoid any form of religious favoritism, discrimination, or proselytizing within the educational system. Uh, and, you know, maintain a common identity to France, show national identity and unity. But you have freedom of religion outside of school. You can wear any religious symbols you want outside of school, any religious clothing you want outside of school. And, and again, this is specifically to public schools in France, so f- uh, primary and secondary. If you go to a private school, this does not apply. Um, so yeah, if, Well, you if, keep narrowing it, though. But I, I think that, again, that's, that's very clearly not a complete view. Like, I just Googled and just found like the first article available to me, which talks about some of the stuff that I've read across over the years. It kind of puts it all in one space where they talk about how uh, in 2010, so I guess I, I was right in saying it was a, almost a decade ago, it was 13 years ago, the country completely banned uh, clothing that includes full face coverings, which obviously would include the burqa and the comb. Um, they cannot be, you cannot wear those in public spaces in France. Um, if you do, it's not like you get put in prison, but you'll be fined, and obviously that's a state discouragement of doing a certain thing. I'm not sure if the fines escalate or if there's any higher punishment than that based on this article. It says you can wear a headscarf uh, legally in public um, in public spaces like shops and cafes and whatnot. Um, So it's common for people to be seen wearing hijab in public in uh, France. Uh, But it also goes on to say that that doesn't mean that there's no restriction on uh, women's freedom to wear a Muslim sort of slanted headscarf. So they talk about how um, you're not allowed to wear overt symbols of religion, which includes the Muslim headscarf in government buildings, mm-hmm. which does include schools. Mm-hmm. Now, there is an exception of, of visitors in schools, so presumably if you're, like, a mother of a young girl in a school, maybe you can, like, temporarily walk into the building with a headscarf, but obviously after you leave, um, you have certain um, problems. Um, and then it's not to mention that public officials in uh, France, so teachers, firefighters, police officers, some examples they give in the article, again, you can't wear, you know, religious symbols in this way. Um, and again, you know, I would just say that, no, I mean, if you're, I just don't think there's anything wrong fundamentally or like from a utilitarian sense of like just letting a public official wear a job if she wants. Like this just seems a bit ridiculous to me. You might say it's good or bad. You might just say it's the goal of 
French, the French Constitution to like essentially holistically secularize society, almost engage in like a state atheist practice, uh, which you do see in some predominantly Muslim countries and other Christian countries as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's just like a good thing to advocate for. I don't really think that's probably a good thing to advocate for in my view. Uh, maybe I'm biased because I'm an American, I guess. We have a more sort of, um, let's say, like hands-off approach to a lot of aspects of individual behavior uh, than... Uh, governments in Europe, European countries, but you know, that's just that's my view, right? Is that yeah, this just doesn't seem to probably work out from a utilitarian perspective. I think it's wrong to say, oh no, it's it's just like grade school age children not allowed to wear the hijab in public school. That doesn't really seem to be the entire nature of like the anti hijab and anti burqa laws and things like this in uh, in these countries. So well, the, obviously we're talking about France as an example, but I I don't agree that. Uh... I don't agree that France is trying to secularize the whole country. I do think that certainly they're trying to keep um, state institutions neutral in terms of um, religion. Bear in mind that I just gave you the reason how, why they see it, and it's a deeply rooted belief for them, or it's very important for them. And again, 80% of the public agrees with it. From, so from, let's look at it just from a utilitarian point of view. 80% of the public agree with this law, including, I'm assuming, Muslims would be considered part of this 80%. The high courts or the, top, yeah. or the top courts agree with it because it's in the Constitution. We're talking about rights. We're talking about government, government giving rights. This is it. This is exactly what we're talking about. And the, sure. and the religious conspicuous symbols applies to every single one. So, you know, uh, Jewish children with the kippah, Sikhs with their turbans, any, any large cross or obvious Christian cross can't be worn. You can wear it outside of school. You, the parents can do what they want outside of school. If the parents find the school, if they're unhappy with this arrangement with public school, they can go to private school. So uh, outside of school, it seems to be the case that it's, that it's okay. Like, I, I accept this is, this is from what you tweeted. Now, if, if there's additional context with I'm familiar with the book. I'm, I'm actually not that familiar. I remember it vaguely. The, the bikini thing on, on, uh, on beaches. So I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure that it's a, it's a countrywide effort to secularize it, but certainly in, in public institutions, yes, they're, they're trying on, on purpose to keep it neutral and equal. Well, I mean, if, if we include public space as a public institution, maybe that statement would, would make some sense, right? But I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really think that that's true. Again, it, it just seems like there's a broader effort. This article goes on to talk about um, how uh, some uh, private federations, because of these laws and I guess views on it, have like banned people from wearing hijabs uh, at sports games. Which I guess, from a private, let's say, organization point of view, it might depend on the partnership between those organizations, between the public and private partners. But again, I would just say, like, from a personal perspective, I think that that is bad for a number of reasons. Um, and then it talks about how, again, like, yeah, I, I suppose you're saying, oh, no, you, you can't, you know, wear a hijab, but it's only in public buildings, right? It's like, okay, well, again, I, I think that that's a bit of a, like, how do I put this? Like, when a French politician says, oh, no, 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 this is all just about government institutions. Like, we don't want government institutions <laughs> to be shown as biased. But then you start to essentially... Apologies. You start to essentially affect like the free movement of people um, and ability to interact with those institutions if they're religious, right? And that's where I think that you see. Um, that's where, from my perspective, that's not really a good rule to implement in society 
for who, a number of reasons. Whose right? rights? I think that whose rights are being violated when it comes to children? Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. If we don't allow children to wear certain things, yeah. So this is up to you know up to secondary school. Yeah. So I guess partially, I would say that if a young girl, you know. I suppose if a young girl came to me and said, you know, she just really wants to wear a hijab, I'm not really sure why I should be in charge of telling her not to. Um, obviously, there's some limitations. Like, we might have some notion of, like, uh, let's say, like, uh, provocativeness. Like, if a young girl said, I just want to go to school naked, like, of course, we probably wouldn't allow that for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, if a young girl said, you have to draw the line somewhere, but if a young girl said, I want to wear a hijab, okay, whatever. Um, I don't really think that that's my place as, like, a public school teacher to really regulate that kind of thing. Now, Okay, who, you know, for instance, what if, if a someone, young... Let me just, just now, the question. What, what if someone in England say, okay. I don't want to wear a school uniform? Because we have school uniforms um, in the UK. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, you, you know, I guess when it comes to uh, wearing a hijab, I'm not really aware of a school uniform that, I guess, would sort of literally not... You wouldn't be able to wear a hijab in a certain school uniform, right? Um, but I would say generally... I personally wouldn't really advocate for school uniforms in school uh, for a number of reasons, but I don't know. That's just my personal view. Okay. Well, we, we do have, we have them in the UK. Uh, I can like, just, just like the, the key points of why we have school uniform in the UK. And again, I, I may disagree with them, but I'm, I'm, I'm here. So I have to abide by these rules. Uh, so it's, again, the key reason is equality wearing the same uniform, Eliminates visible distinctions between students and different socioeconomic backgrounds, reducing the pressure to conform to specific fashion trends. Discipline, sure. everyone's wearing the same thing. Reduced bullying, if people don't, uh, when everyone is dressed alike, there is less room for teasing or exclusion based on appearance. Focus on learning, yeah. co cost savings, uniforms can be cost-effective for parents as they eliminate the need for purchase of a variety of outfits. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard all those arguments for school uniforms. I'm okay. not, like, unsympathetic to them. Again, it, it just, when we're talking about hijabs and not hijabs, right, it's not, it's not really clear to me that uh, a girl wearing a school uniform perfectly properly and then throwing a hijab on top of her head all of a sudden negates, like, all of those practical ways why school uniforms can be a good thing. Um, now, if you could maybe make a convincing like uh chained argument about how you know wearing the standard school girl school girl uniform in the uk somehow essentially gets rid of all of those benefits uh when you throw a hijab on top i mean i guess maybe it would make some sense um or like maybe if we perhaps go more extreme and say oh well you're wearing a public school uniform but not really because you're just throwing like a niqab on over top so you're just wearing essentially just a niqab outwardly facing like for some reason making an exception in that regard just like completely dismantles the gains that you get from like a broadly held public school uniform i, I just don't really see that i would say um you know my personal intuition is probably that you should just let kids wear what they want um or uh perhaps if you if you have like high inequality in a school district um it maybe makes sense to have some sort of standardized public uniform um, but I don't know, as far as I'm aware in even public schools that have public uniform policies, there's not like an incredibly strict adherence to the school uniform. So what I mean by that is, um, let's say that your school uniform is, uh, you know, a button down long sleeve shirt with khaki pants for a dude. Well, um, if that dude rolls his sleeves up, like he's probably not going to get kicked out of school or get, 
you know, uh, a detention because of it or something like that. Um, if a if a woman decides, or a girl, I should say, in, in grade school decides to, um, you know, say that it's the same exact thing, like khaki pants and then a long sleeve, uh, whatever, long sleeve button-up shirt, um, decides to wear, like, a khaki skirt instead. As far as I'm aware, most public school policies have flexibility like that. Or, like, I'm going to wear a necklace, or I'm going to wear certain pins on my... Cl- like, these... I, I don't know, like, I've never... Like, I'm sure that there exists, especially private schools, where they have, like, oh, no, like, if you have, you know, an, a creased shirt when it's supposed to be, you know, perfectly iron, then we're going to send you to detention. But, again, I just, I mean, that's where you get into almost, like, the, this more, like, almost, like, militant egalitarianism, which probably wouldn't, uh, most people would probably have a lot of problems uh, adhering to, personally. Right, so, um, the, the school uniforms are relatively strict. Um, you have to buy certain black shoes you can't buy if if they're too fancy so like if, if you're if you're rich come from a rich family and you you have shoes that are too rich you'd be sent home to get regular shoes you can't wear makeup girls can't wear makeup can't wear earrings can't um like so certain ways of collecting your hair with certain doodads it has to be very specific and that's that's always been the case here now Again, I'm not okay. a utilita- I'm not a utilitarian, but from from what I've read, both from the UK and, and France, all the reasons I've, I've given have include the word in- equality and include the, the word, include the sentences everyone looks the same and we treat everyone equally. So it seems to me that on on the face of it, they're doing everything right according to utilitarianism. They're, they're doing they're trying to improve social outcomes, reducing inequality reducing bullying, reducing socioeconomic differences, reducing religious differences. Everyone's treated the same, everyone's equal, but your intuition, as you said, s- seems wrong. We, we should make an exception, and this is for, for, mo- for Muslim girls in particular, because I haven't seen you make a, a thing for, for, for Sikhs, and Sikhs, as far as I understand, showing their well, no, I mean, showing the, the here's a classic example. But, but just, no, like just let, me, example let, let, me, let me finish before. I'll, I'm no, finishing in, in just, a second. I'm finishing. We don't have Look, to make a, like a Muslim-centric argument. For, I that's that's say, fine. Like, that's fine. Like I, I, withdraw, I withdraw the comment. So you're okay, saying, because sure. it's, not, it's not important to my point. So you're saying it feels wrong, but you're going to have to explain why it feels wrong, because the, the verbiage from coming from the schools and coming from the laws is, is equality. Everything is equality, neutrality, treating everyone the same. So why does it feel wrong? Um, yeah, sure. I guess going into it a little bit more specifically, right, I think that you do run into a lot of practical problems when it comes to the government or, like, government institutions trying to enforce, like, very, very incredibly strict standards. Um, I think that you end up leading to probably instances where academic success can be compromised um, to its fullest degree, let's say, or where like just like individual student socialization and success can be compromised uh when it otherwise sort of need not be um i think Sorry, that you can you give me an example in, can you give an example of the last two points because the, they are saying the opposite of what you're saying yeah i, I understand so and, and again i mean if you're um, yeah i don't know what to say like if you're if you just 100 percent believe everything the french state says i'm not sure no no I, again, i'm not a, i'm not a, i'm not uh, a utilitarian no but i'm 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 next. I'm ne- there. Are, there are neighbors. I'm kind of in the same, you know, pool, pool, European pool. You could say cultural pool. Uh, but I'm I'm just reading the verbiage that they're saying. It doesn't seem like they're trying to be mean or single, single anyone out. And they, and you know, it's from the constitution, which is 
1789. It just seems to me that they're trying to follow the the. How can I say this? Not not the rules, right, but like the the, spi- the spirit of what utilitarianism is supposed to do. Yeah, I understand. I mean, again, like you you could so just as like a quick aside example, and I'll I'll answer your question fully as well. Like you could have said the same exact thing for people who implemented poll taxes and implicit poll taxes in the South during the uh, sort of pre Civil Rights Act era, right? Where it's like, well, there's there's nothing like nominally racist about the idea that you know you you have to take a test to. Um, you know, prove that you're civically engaged before voting. And a lot of people to this day will argue for something like that. The issue is that, again, from a utilitarian perspective, you end up with these downstream effects where people just use these as avenues for discriminating against groups that they don't like. Now, um, that's the argument with poll taxes and, like, you know, uh, civic tests and stuff like that before voting. But with regards to specific, like, more concrete examples where I would say that um, you end up with, uh, let's say, like, diminishing returns or even, like, negative returns enforcing rules like this is that if you if you adhere to, like, an incredibly strict standard for dress for students, which you certainly could if you wanted to, right? Um, you know, I've, you know, I went to public school in the South in a conservative area, and uh, certainly we had many, many strict rules. And, um, you know, one example of a rule was that if girls in our school wanted to wear uh, a skirt, it had to be uh, four, it had, I think it was like, it had to be within or, it had to be within four inches of the knee. So like, if you had a skirt, you couldn't allow your skirt to be shorter and allow four inches of like thigh to show if you wore, you know, skirts. Now, this led to a lot of, let's say, problems in our school where uh, you had male teachers like holding up rulers to girls skirts when they came in today to make sure hmm is this four inches or is this four and a half inches of thigh if it is well all of a sudden we're sending the kid back home and the kid's not able to learn for like four hours out of the day because you got to go home you got to change you got to come back a lot of times parents are at work causes all these problems that's just one simple rule right um and if you you know come to the idea that uh girls aren't allowed to you know wear certain things or anything there's perhaps some equality concerns because what we've seen in um you know places where they adopt like new strict rules on wearing certain things sometimes the boys at schools will protest and say well there's nothing that talks about men wearing skirts and so men will wear skirts then the administration has to come back and say oh well fuck i guess we have to make it and you, you end up making like all these rules because the original rule that you made was probably not a great rule in the first place like it's hard to enforce these kind of things and we also have to ask ourselves do we really just want to spend bureaucratic time enforcing these things? Like, do we really want to have teachers spending part of their day telling Muslim girls to go home and take their hijab off or go to the bathroom and take their hijab off when it's probably better to spend that 10 minutes actually in class learning and we probably shouldn't care so much about whether or not a girl is wearing a hijab, right? I mean, that's kind of the mechanism by which I could see rules like these, even if it's only for grade school girls being bad because what? Apologies, like, why should we really care about the dress, uh, assuming it's, like, let's say, like, a generally appropriate dress, um, and, you know, by that I mean, like, you're not showing up to school naked, like, you're fully clothed, essentially, um, you know, why should we spend bureaucratic time doing that? That's the argument that I would make to the French public, who, as you say, is overwhelmingly in support, apparently, I'll just take your word for it, of laws like this. That's the argument that I would make. Well... I'm not, I'm not exactly buying buying this argument, and I, just because I have personal experience 
with, you know, dropping the kids off at school. <coughs> we have basically two to three outfits that you can buy. <coughs> you, you buy them from a, a place. Like, you don't, it's not like you mix and match, you go to, to stores or something. You go to a specific place that sells uh, school clothes for the particular size that you need. And you wear those clothes. There's no confusion. There's no reason for discipline. The teachers don't care that much unless it's like super obvious. And kids just run to class, sit sit in those seats, and, and the schools are. It's very rarely the case that uh, you know it's a super big disciplinary thing. I've once seen like a, 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 a headmaster at a particular school make a fuss about uh, income inequality or different socioeconomic background inequality kind of thing, where he did send kids home on the first day of school and then they just remembered not to wear different things and it was fine the rest of the year. I, I once saw it on TV, but normally it's not super difficult to, to abide by it. Now, with regards to your point on discrimination, um, I don't see how you can make that claim. The, the kids look the same, they dress the same, the, you can't tell from which denomination they come from or which religion they come from everyone looks the same so it would be difficult to make the case that it discriminates kids when they just you it's difficult to when they just look the same in a sense that you can't really discriminate based on something based on religion or socioeconomic background uh you you said government enforcement is bad i obviously agree that government enforcement is bad but then again i won't have state schools in my system so everyone can do whatever they please um, but it's it does it does kind of feel that to me, at least, from your answers, that a lot of this, a lot of these things have already been thought out here in the here in Europe, and we have reasons and 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 rules and expectations. And again, I'm not one for equality per se, also, legal equality, sure, but not necessarily in this context. But they seem to have figured this this out. They seem to have legitimately good answers and. and the things you're telling me are kind of like anecdotes and kind of like it feels wrong and I don't want it to get to an extreme. We don't, we don't have really an extreme unless you're saying in France this is a bio, a bio law. And, and, and bear in mind the, the specific law in France back going that, that again was in 2004 and the abaya change was because Muslim girls started wearing it and no one did anything about it and, and recently they said no, you have to follow this 2004 law. So I'm I'm a little bit confused. I'm, I'm not getting like clear clear principled answers. I'm getting like um, it feels it feels well, wrong again. Like I don't think that we have so again like broadly utilitarian and consequentialist analysis, right? And so naturally, you know, we and I mentioned this earlier on in our conversation. You know, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, if you're a utilitarian, if you're a consequentialist, right? Like, how do you actually determine? Like what's good and bad, right? Because there's a lot. There's probably a lot oh, of areas a good where it's that's difficult. a great question. What? How do we? Right. And that's what, what is of, the standard of value? What is? What can we say is good and what is? But what are we measuring against? Right. Exactly. Right. So you, you, when it comes to utilitarianism and consequentialism, right, you kind of have to try and ask yourself, okay, well, if you feel like things are kind of good and bad based on the utility of certain actions or rules or the consequences of certain actions or rules then how do we measure those things, right? And so, obviously, from a theoretical perspective... Wait, before... Apologies. From, you you, you, yeah, said, on, you started the sentence, if you feel. Why is it based on, on feelings? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, because I, I, I wanted... What do you mean I, by feeling? So, 
if I'm, I'm, well, you I'm, have to I'm, you have to start with like you have to start with some hypothesis, right? So I mean, your hypothesis can be proven correct or incorrect, right? Um, sure, but now, I, that's why throughout this conversation, I've said my intuition kind of points me towards this or that, um, uh-huh. and you know, I'm again, and I've said this before in the conversation as well. I'm totally open to those intuitions being definitively proven wrong in my analysis, right? Um, that's why I'm trying to go on and talk about how. Um, with this issue specifically, we have to kind of construct, okay, well, like, what are the outcomes that we really value? And are those outcomes actually served by a rule like this, right? And so, um, you know, one of those things uh, that you might look at is like potential psychological outcomes, right? Because whether we agree with teaching young girls to wear a hijab and a kabar, no, that, um, you, you know, a lot of young girls in Muslim communities grow up with the understanding that it is like simply bad to show your body in that way. And if you've ever spoken to a Muslim girl or a Muslim adult um, and like spoken to them about like the uh, potential for them to walk around in public without a hijab or niqab or something like that, um, that can often be like a relatively traumatic and like anxiety inducing experience because they have this like hard set religious belief. And so we do have to take that obviously seriously like how bad is that anxiety how bad is that potential trauma and if you know does it really accomplish the goals that we want now can i just look add, at that just, and then you would, just uh, and then, well no no really quick point? just a couple more sentences right so just a couple more sentences is that okay well there's that and then there's okay what about potential future outcomes right like is the fact that we made girls show up to school without hijabs and niqabs does that lead to like good potential future outcomes that might outweigh even potential psychological harm? Uh, even if the psychological harm is like great, um, perhaps it's minimal. The point is like what I said before was that I don't think there's a lot of good like experimental evidence on the long-term implications of laws like this, and so that's why I'm kind of framing my support or um, let's say like advocacy against laws like this based on my personal moral intuitions, my uh, experience in public education, my experience talking to and like being friends with dozens and dozens and probably hundreds, uh, you know, probably not in the thousands, but like hundreds and hundreds of different Muslim women that I've met uh, during my life uh, and just kind of going from there. But of course, it could be the case that my intuitions are completely incorrect. um, And the French like anti-hijab and public schools law, the specific law that you're talking about, like consequentially speaking, could actually just be a completely good thing. I'm just saying intuitively, it probably isn't. Um, but I'm open to more evidence coming out and uh, being proven wrong on that. Uh, yeah, well, I'm um, to some degree. I I think if you're looking at it in terms of consequentialism, I think to some degree because it's based on the constitution, you're going to have to look as, at the very least. The conversation has to be about the rule utilitarianism. As I understand it, I could be wrong. Again, I'm not sure. util- not utilitarian to make that claim. It just seems like the right the right path. Uh, and I'm I'm a bit dismayed about that we keep using the word intuition because to me intuitions are extremely unreliable. Um, so I well, they, I, they I don't arguably know. could be right, but I mean okay. again, so like let me, you're let me, let me just like, uh, let, me, let me use an example. Let wait, me use wait. an example where you would agree. Let me let me let me finish my point. Then <laughs> okay. you can say how intuitions could be reliable. That's fine. So yeah, yeah I I also have experience speaking with uh, Muslim women, particular ex-Muslim women, and they are very happy not to wear niqab and a hijab. They, and they are upset that they were forced to wear the hijab in their country. And I am married to an ex-Muslim as well. Um, right. And um, they're angry at men that forced them 
to to wear that. They're angry. They're angry at the uh, morality police or virtue police that catch women who don't wear their hijab and and take them to, and make them disappear. They're very afraid that they're forced to do that. Now, even bear in mind, even actual religious religious women. So these these women are are, are Muslim because they were born in a Muslim country, not because they chose it. But actual religious, let's say, adult women are against. The forcing of uh, of these hijabs because if if people don't want to wear them they should wear they should not wear them and if they do want to wear them they they should wear them as adults not as children by the way but as a, as adults so it seems to be it seems to me the case that intuitively people women would rather be free in this in this context to 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 wear what to wear what they like and not be forced because of religion to to wear the hijab and, and a minority of women. Right. Who choose to like, and I'm, I'm talking about more like elderly women who choose to wear the, the hijab, you know, they can as as long, and they themselves say we shouldn't force it on other people. Well, right, but my my like stated policy preference is completely compatible with everything that you just said, right? Which is that like you seem to be describing instances where society as a whole with state power is like forcing women to wear the hijab. You've got like the Iranian... Uh, almost like a secret religious police that'll throw you in a fucking van and beat the shit out of you if you're not wearing a hijab. Obviously, that's completely abhorrent and barbaric, if you ask me. My principle is basically, I think, aligning more so with what the women around you, perhaps your wife as well, would say, which is that, yeah, if a woman wants to wear a hijab, obviously she should be allowed to, you know, pretty much despite the circumstance, right? Whether you're in a public building, a public school, whatever that might be. Um, now, I do agree that the issue when it comes to the governance of children in society becomes a little bit more complicated, right? Because it's, you know, certainly intuitively and like from my own, um, let's say, like forecast for how I'll parent in the future uh, when hopefully I do become a parent is like I would be very against the notion that I would ever force uh, a daughter of mine to wear a hijab, despite the fact that similar to you, or I guess you said your wife is an ex-Muslim, my wife is a Muslim, like my wife has similar views, which is like, it's totally ridiculous to force women to wear a hijab interpersonally or certainly with state power. Um, but that's, you know, that's not really a comment on essentially the responsibilities of the state, right? And, you know, I'm not sure if your wife would agree, but like, in general, I would just say back to what I've essentially been saying this whole time, it's simply not a, a uh, let's say like in the realm for positive state power and influence to force women to either wear or not wear something. And it kind of does go back to that conversation on intuitions with uh, consequentialism and utilitarianism, because I do agree that like a severe, uh, let's say like uh, unintuitive, uh, and I'm using the word consequence here, but obviously not in the uh, philosophical sense, but like a severe uh, limitation of uh, the thought of consequentialism and utilitarianism that is unintuitive for a lot of people is this idea of like, what about in scenarios where it simply just isn't clear what utility means or what, uh, you know, good or bad consequences really means, right? Um, but I would just argue that, yes, it's certainly gray. There are areas where it's uh, certainly less definitive than others. I would argue that in this area, I've got at least like a decent foundation, in my view, for being for or against these types of laws. Um, but I'm, of course, always open, you know, sort of scientifically speaking to evidence that proves otherwise. Like, oh, it turns out that France and Switzerland and like these other, you know, Quebec, like these other places, you know, they implemented these laws. And it turns out, you know, 
basically like everything was better for these girls and they weren't as sort of traumatized by their religion and they got better educational. Like I'm totally willing to that, to hear that argument. Um, but just intuitively speaking in this world with limited evidence, uh, I'm just working off of essentially, you know, my basic intuitions. I suppose one of the things that's good on the international scale is that we do have, uh, like, I'm not saying this is good because I do think it's wrong to implement these laws, but at least, like, experimentally speaking, there are so many different governments and local governments, like, tens of thousands of different, like, governing bodies across the world from a sort of national, federal, state, local level, um, that you can run experiments like this and kind of see the outcomes. And uh, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, maybe you can point to some. I, I don't see, like, incredible I, I, I honestly, positive outcomes associated with these laws, but... I, I don't know. I don't know if this is something we can run experiments for in like an A/B testing kind of way. This seems to be like a very, very raw, very principled, very uh, central way of governing populations. Yeah. And I don't. I yeah, don't know. If, I don't know if it's issue. one of those things that we can just like you know, they gave them placebos, they gave them the actual medicine, and and five percent difference. I don't think this is one of those cases. Yeah, of course. I mean, some things, especially in social sciences, are difficult to measure. I would say that this would actually be an issue where um, the like experimental evidence certainly will materialize at some point if it hasn't already. Um, and I just haven't like looked into these studies. But um, you know, I will say that uh, how do I put this? Like, uh, you know, I've looked into the empirical outcomes on assimilation and assimilationism and things like this, and okay. like how certain governments can improve assimilation and like how you know, immigrants um, adopt cultures of the places that they live in. And, you know, based on that and my personal experience, I'm, I'm left with the intuition that, like, applying that framework to this situation, uh, we probably don't see, like, net benefits from laws like this. I agree, though. I mean, it's it's not clear, and I'm not going to, you know, I, if I, I have, ask, like, an interpersonal... Can I ask on Well, the last point. thing I was going to say, the last thing I was going to say is, like, when it comes to, like, having an interpersonal conversation about this, um, I'm going to come to it from like an area of understanding and say, you know, I'm not going to necessarily accuse any one person of being discriminatory in this regard. However, I am very skeptical of state action that seems, you know, essentially to target a minority of the population in general, right? And I will say that, like, acts like this probably are discriminatory in nature. And, you know, that goes back to the example of poll tests and taxes and things like this, Um but you know, it's that it's. But I will say that's not necessarily the case. Um, it's just again, that's just my uh, my basic assumption. Yeah. Okay. So I'll reply to what to the points you've said. So I um. My so firstly, my wife does agree with this law. Uh, I sure. she doesn't see a reason why girls should be wearing uh, headscarves. There's no reason for it. Even, I don't either. Even in a religious context. Like I don't either. I agree. Nine-year-old, twelve-year-old girls shouldn't be wearing hijabs. So we both agree, great. I agree. Um, and I, I guess you could, you can make the you can make the claim, although if we both agree, I'm not sure if it's super super relevant. But that if a girl doesn't want to wear a hijab and let's say she still want she still wants to be uh, a Muslim, but she just doesn't want to wear a hijab and she doesn't see the need for in the host Western country that she's in. Uh, the family, her family, depending on on the culture, would not allow her to do that. Her community would not allow her to do that. So that could be a, a very sticky issue, which perhaps is handled better in France. I'm not entirely sure. 
Yeah. Um, well, if you wanted to say, like, from talking to your well, wife, if let, you let wanted me, to say let me, that... You've, you've talked a lot. I'm, I'm finding... I'm struggling to get a few points out each time I talk, so let me just... Uh, allow me to please finish. <laughs> I, okay. I disagree. I disagree with the fact that it's targeting a minority, because, again, like, you know, the the Jewish children, the Jewish boys can't wear kippah, the, the, the turbans can't wear Sikh, Christian people can't wear... Well, you're, you're describing it's, it's, different minorities at that point. Christian people right. can't wear... Uh, large crosses it's it applies to everyone so I'm, I'm not exactly sure i wouldn't agree with that assessment but if you are if you are um if the issue of integration is is important to you then that's an that's a interesting topic that we don't talk a lot here in europe we've had uh we've had a lot of immigration from middle eastern countries from from northern african countries all the way up from Ar arab spring in 2010 that it doesn't seem like it's it's been going well. Um, initially, uh, countries like England, France, Germany, Sweden took took in a lot of immigrants. I don't I don't want to raise right wing talking points, so I'm just going to really generalize here. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been going well, and and in addition, we can't seem to have those kinds of conversations at all. Um, and it's a very frustrating topic. And and we're currently in the UK, at the very least, we're we're basically saying. Um, we don't want any immigrants. We'll, we'll full up. The NHS can't handle anymore. We don't have enough jobs. We don't have enough houses. Like you, you're obviously going to make the case that yes, immigrants in, increase the, you know, the economy and all that. But the people here are very, like two thirds, if not more, are against more immigration. Uh, in particular, from that region. I, I of the recognize world. that. Um, yeah. And it's and you know, in France they're taking this approach. In Hungary, it's just. No one comes in in Poland. No one comes in. Like with, they have these trucks with with water cannons and, and stuff. No one comes in 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 Denmark. They said, you know, you can't you can't live in a ghetto. So basically, they had these uh, all the immigrants. <coughs> I'm assuming uh, Muslim immigrants came to one area. They put them all in one area because they had to just for logistics reason. And then they kind of stuck to their own little ghetto and they didn't leave out of it. So. And in addition, they didn't send their kids to school to be assimilated with the host country. So, so in Denmark, they said you have to send your kids to, to nursery, to, to primary school. Otherwise, you won't get X benefits from that. So it was, and it was quite a strict, strict uh, law from a, a Nordic country. So it was a bit of a surprise. But uh, it doesn't seem, <coughs> it doesn't seem the integration is going well. So, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess on, so the reason I kept on insisting that, like, I actually agree with pretty much everything your wife thinks, um, is that I can, I can agree with every step along the way that, like, I don't think young girls should be, I don't think parents should be forcing their young girls to wear hijab, um, I don't think that parents should be, um, you know, I wouldn't say a parent should teach a child that it's wrong to be gay, right, I would call that, like, a very bad thing to teach a child, um, but again, it's just a matter of where where do we say that the state can force you to parent in a certain way or the state can force your children to interact with public institutions in a certain way that's counter to their personal religious beliefs. That's where we disagree, your wife and I. With, with regards to the integration of immigrants and things like this, like I, you know, I kind of disagree. We can have <coughs> conversations like this. Like it does seem like... Um, it does seem like that anti-immigration, like anti, let's say, especially like anti-Muslim fervor, especially in Europe because of this recent, recent uh, wave of immigration. Like it does seem like that conversation is relatively robust. Obviously, you mentioned France has enacted several laws like this. Quebec has done the same thing. So has Switzerland. 
Um, I think the Netherlands has enacted similar things as well. So, I mean, it, it just seems like there is an ability for public opinion on these types of practices to be reflected in government policy, for better or worse. Obviously, um, I don't you know, agree with that policy, but um, that's just part of living in a democratic system, I suppose. But um, in terms of assimilation of immigrants, you know, I've talked to... And this was this was this was a pretty eye-opening conversation from my point of view because I asked similar questions to this guy named Alex Narasta, who you're probably familiar with. Um, he is a for the audience, he's a immigration expert who works for the Cato Institute. Uh, that's basically his essentially his main thing that he knows about is immigration. But he is a libertarian, uh, and I asked him a similar question. It's like, man, you know, what do you do about problems like this? Where in Sweden, it seems like they do have genuine problems with the assimilation of immigrants, and like they do have genuine culture clash between these groups of people, like, what do you do to solve this problem? Alex Narasta, you know, guy who advocates for open borders, right? And he said, you know, he said, essentially, when you look at the problems with assimilation with a lot of these groups, um, a lot of the barriers that these immigrants face are structural barriers, right? So um, now not all of them are, right? So for instance, if you have a, and I don't know about the situation, and uh, I think you mentioned Denmark, I don't know the situation in Denmark specifically, but if you have a situation where a bunch of immigrants are just not sending their kids to school, I think it's fair to say, hey, you've got to send your kids to school, right? Whether it's going to a private school or a public school, like your kids have to go to school because in this society we educate our children and kids, that's just what kids do, I guess, is go to school, right? So I'm perfectly okay. I think, I think they educated with, themselves at home, but the, but Denmark preferred them to go to school so they can learn the language and, and be assimilated better. Well, obviously, yeah, if you're, that's, that's a more of a comment on homeschooling in general and not necessarily like Muslim homeschooling, right? If, if you have a system in your country that says you're allowed to homeschool your kids if you meet certain, you know, basic qualifications, perfectly reasonable. But again, if these people aren't, aren't meeting those qualifications or if we think, hey, they're meeting these qualifications, but these qualifications are way too low. Well, the, you know, again, that's, that's not a comment on Muslim people homeschooling their kids. That's a comment on basically the homeschooling system, right? And so, um, what Alex Narasta talked about is that one of the reasons why, uh, take America, for example, one of the reasons why America is, like, so good at assimilating immigrants, like, it seems kind of weird how well American immigrants assimilate, is that it is, relatively speaking, it is easy for immigrants who come to America to get a job, right? Um, it, plain and simple, whether that be, like, uh, de- let's say, like, developed black markets where undocumented immigrants or, like, various mechanisms by which undocumented immigrants could... Um, actually both be undocumented but obtain legal employment or illegal employment, um, or it's uh, coming here on various forms of visas, being a refugee, being a, a, a student, being uh, literally on a working visa, that it's just like easy once you obtain a legal, uh, let's say, circumstance in the country to get a job. And this is somewhat intuitive. This is what the research that he said spoke to that hey, if you prevent people from working, not only are you going to have a bunch of people that think immigrants are lazy because they're not working, um, even though they're legally not allowed to work in a lot of cases, um, but also it's bad for assimilation, right? If you spend eight hours a day speaking with other Swedish people about Swedish shit all day, say you're working in like a car repair shop, you're obviously going to become like you're nationally more Swedish uh, quicker than if you're basically just staying home all day and collecting a check from the government for basic assistance, right? And And that's, again... Uh, relatively intuitive, right? And I also asked him about, well, what do you think? And I did mention Denmark as an example. What do you think about Denmark where they're doing all these things where it's like you have to you have to go to certain classes at certain times to learn the language and you have to send your kids to certain schools and um, public housing is, is, is not allowed to be like, uh, I think it was like only like 30% of public housing in any particular square um, uh, like uh, radius is allowed to be 
uh, Arab at any certain time because you don't want is it cultural enclaves. And essentially, he said um, he didn't really trust the government to really be able to, like, m let's say, like, plan assimilation in that way. Um, I'm a little bit more mixed on it. I'm not. I don't know if the evidence is out that says that that's not successful. But what he said is that the most successful thing is basically, look, just let people come to your country and work. If you're going to let them in, let them work. If you're not going to let them work, uh, you probably might as well not let them in, right? Because it just leads to all these problems like we're talking about here. So that's kind of my broad point on it, basically, is that um, if you're going to allow immigrants to, like, step foot in your country, like, at least Hungary, like, Hungary where they're, like, you know, blowing water cannons in people's faces and shit, that's obviously horrible. I would say, no, these people are refugees. Let them in your country. But if you're going to let them in, I mean, fuck, you've, you've got to let them work, right? You've got to let them interact with public institutions in a way like anyone else. Otherwise, you're basically just allowing people in just so that they can immediately structurally be discriminated against, right? <laughs> Which isn't really the best way to assimilate these people. And of course, it does lead to not only like negative sentiments against immigrants, but also these immigrants, I think, rightfully in those circumstances, will have negative sentiments against the native population as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I can, I can agree. I mean, I'll, let me, let me give like a broader context in your, I can agree with in principle with, with a lot of the things that you said. So just going a little bit back, basically the, the problem is that, and I think, I think we've, we've mentioned something similar. We, we have these pockets where, uh, refugees or immigrants from certain parts of the world live and, and, and disassociate themselves with, with the wider surroundings or, and keep living parallel lives in, in a sense. I, to be honest, I'm not sure. Like, if this is, I'm not personally sure if this is terrible because I, I don't, I don't, I don't think in like this collectivist kind of term. But it does seem to me that it does seem to me that people want people to integrate with the country. And I, I agree, I agree to some degree that if you come to a country, that that country represents certain values at the very least that you find appealing and you should be interested in adopting those values. And there's nothing wrong. You know, with having your own, keeping some of your culture, keeping your cuisines, keeping your your I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, but I think I think the problem is, again, that there's little pockets and no one integrates with with anyone else. With regards to getting jobs in America, maybe legal jobs, but legal jobs are basically impossible. If you, if you go to America as an immigrant or as a refugee, they do. Sorry, let, let's. If you go to America in a legal way they'll stop you from getting any work like 98% of the this is my understanding 98% of the documentation is making sure you don't work in the US and 2% is questions about are you a terrorist or not something like that they they very much hate or the, the American immigration system very much hates people coming in and taking jobs or that's that's the main focus at the very least I can I can refer you to a person that I saw give a talk about that right. um it wasn't and, the only thing he mentioned. But, but, let's, but he, he but was let's, referencing let's, a study about sure, but, but I would agree, ironically. About, I would agree but. with with Alex in the sense that you know the the U.S. for the longest time didn't even have a border, like a, didn't have any walls on its on its southern border. Like Mexicans would come come to just just stroll across, find some job, earn some money, and go back. Like for the for men for I don't know two hundred odd years that was the case. So so yeah, like yeah, if you, the first. He, he the stat that he or not the stat the historical fact that he will swing out which I think is actually a pretty incredible stat is that the 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 first for, for basically the first hundred years of American history we had literally no immigration restrictions at yeah. all we had open borders yeah and uh, you know you had 
forget forget the immigrants from Mexico, immigrants from Europe. Every, like you know, give me your right. your weak, your poor, your so on and so forth. We'll take them all in, right? That was the the motto on the Statue of Liberty. Um, you're frail, all that, and uh, and yeah, America benefits from that. I I personally think, and I I personally take on the point of of Milton Friedman that when you start having a system with welfare. And, you, and certainly here in the UK, with regards to the NHS, then you can't really have the two. It seems like you either have one or the other. Like if if immigrants can come in, if sorry, if we didn't have any any welfare or any NHS or, or shortage of housing, let's say, uh, immigrants can come in and, and they're responsible for getting their own work. Good luck. I don't really care. You can if you find the job, fine. I, I don't mind. If you don't, I'm, I'm sorry. But if the if it but because we have this kind of system, and this is across Europe, like basically social democracies. It seems like everyone's very sensitive about having too many people overload the system that we have, and, and I, I can obviously yeah. accept. I can obviously accept the you know immigrants add to the economy, but they're not building hospitals that quickly. They're not building houses that quickly. They're not building roads that quickly. Uh, so yeah. that that seems to be like a like a contention point here. Well, we might agree. It sounds like we might agree that obviously, if for instance, if we liberalized zoning laws and got rid of you know certificates of needs and made it easier to build things generally. Um, you know, and that that includes all types of infrastructure that um, we could we could we could have less of a transit a sort of transitory cost of high levels of immigration because it'd just be easier to build houses to fill them up with. Um, and we're, you know, when, it, when it comes, we're struggling to, with yeah, we're, we're struggling with portals and building a very fancy train across the country that uh, everyone. Well, exactly. Like when you when you see it's just you know nimbyism is it's almost like nimbyism is the root of all evils or something but like yeah if it was if it was sufficiently regulatorily easy to build certain things right whether it be like energy housing or or healthcare infrastructure um we wouldn't have as much of a problem with uh, the just the idea because like canada like where canadians are like we're letting in all these immigrants but we don't even have enough houses like housing is it's like three million dollars for a piece of shit house in this country like the the problem is that like that fundamentally that's like a very understandable sentiment. It's just that it's and I think we might agree like it's wrong to blame the immigrant. Really, it's your stupid government's like fucking building restrictions that's causing you guys to have unaffordable uh, housing. And then I would also agree that welfare systems can certainly complicate immigration uh, as a narrative. I think that um, you know one of the things that Alex Narasa has talked about is that uh, in in uh, America it's uh, relatively speaking harder for an immigrant to obtain welfare than it is in a lot of these European countries. Um, and again, it's, it's for the same reason. Like obviously if you make it harder for them to work, but they're also qualified for welfare, of course, native, uh, you know, people are going to be pretty upset seeing that because obviously they're working. And although they qualify for welfare in the same circumstance, it just feels like intuitively it just feels like, man, these guys aren't even really contributing to the system. But again, they're not, and it's like they're not realizing that they they really legally can't contribute in a number of ways, right? And so um, I would say that there's probably room for nuance when it comes to, like, what types of welfare and what types of public support should immigrants qualify for. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, you know, that that's... Uh, that's the more reasonable conversation. But, yeah, oftentimes, like, right-wing parties will just basically just take advantage of this sort of nativism, uh, you know, fear of immigrants and things like this, which can be... Uh, which can be quite, uh, let's say, like uh, quite toxic. I think the last point that I want to make, I don't think this is actually very well known, but um, in in Norway and Sweden, it's actually very difficult for immigrants to find to find work. I've, I've got family there. Um, 
in those countries they'll, they'll just like go by your your last name or something or like they'll talk to you on the phone and say look you're not a cultural fit we want people of the same culture so it will just be easier to communicate and I had family struggle struggle for a very long time to find work and you know the the government is trying is very generous with welfare they will send you to these uh, language courses uh, for, for, for the local thing but but at some point like my my uh, family relative just changed his last name and his first name as well and it, it was kind of easier for him but um, in terms right. of like in that, terms that of like really Swe- surprise me in terms of like Sweden I think I think it's kind of the same but in terms of like actual numbers like the immigrants have a very low labor participation uh, in the country yeah. so so obviously those ghettos and the issues they've had there are, are issues with basically can't find work that's my understanding uh, as well. So back back to back to the point of the original thing. I don't think we disagree too much on on uh, with with the case of children, with the case of laws for children. I don't think we've had a disagreement on that. Um, and I don't think there is a. a lo- I, I'll have to look more in the, the Burkini and remind myself what was that, what was that about. But uh, yeah, it seems like we're in agreement for that Abaya law. Or by a change to the law that uh, that was from your original tweet. I'm confused. You you think we're we're in agreement that the, the we're, we're in agreement the that children sh- the children should not wear uh, hijabs at school. So again, like my agreement in that is a personal agreement. Like I don't think I don't I don't think children should wear hijab for a number of reasons, right? But again, where uh, we might disagree right is just should the state be enforcing that dress requirement right and that's where it sounds like your wife and i would disagree she would say uh that it uh is a positively a good thing that the state requires uh young girls to uh, basically not wear a hijab or niqab or anything like this in public school whereas i would say um you know for a lot of downstream reasons that that's probably not a good power to give to the state why yeah, so for all the reasons that I mentioned, you know, we might be circling up, uh, we've already talked about this, but uh, so one of the reasons was just simply like difficulty in enforcing certain rules like that. Let, let's, right? let's disregard um, that. Let's say, say, let's say they, they solved that issue. What else? Yeah, so if we're not taking into account the difficulty in solving it, um, we are taking into account the potential feelings of these children who actually might positively themselves want to wear these clothes and like the uncomfortableness and the anxiety that they might feel not wearing these clothes. Um, or perhaps what is often kind of a, you know, unfortunately the case where like, and I don't know how France works specifically, but like one of the concerns that I would have with laws like these as well is that, um, a lot of these parents who are like very, very insistent, like, no, my kid has to wear the hijab, like those types of parents where they are actually forcing it. Um, they might just pull their kids out of public school altogether and send them to private school, which is not really what I would want um, as well. If we if we do care about socializing kids properly and um, giving them like a good sort of general experience in the country that they live in, that's probably not a good thing either. That's why I would say like a better law that would maybe hopefully capture my personal feelings about wearing hijab, not hijab, but also hopefully uh, avoid all the negatives. Um, and perhaps your wife would agree with this. Maybe that would be better is the idea that uh, if, you know, let's say that a girl comes to school, right, and she, like the teachers know for <laughs> for various reasons, right, typically when your parents are very fundamentalist, they're, they're sure to tell your teachers about it and all the restrictions that come with that. 
at least that's true in my experience. Um, and uh, if that's the case, and you see this girl come to a job, uh, come to school in a hijab, but then you notice her going to classes without a hijab, and she kind of like takes it off when she gets to school, and then puts it back on right before she goes home. A policy that I think I would support is to say, hey, that should not be reported to the parents, right? That if a girl is deciding she does not want to be a hijabi, she doesn't want to be a copy, obviously we can't control what they do in their own house, but if you want to come to a public school or a school in general, and you want to say, hey, for various reasons, I do not want to wear a hijab and a cob, even as a young girl, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, 17 years old, all the way up through high school, I don't think that that's something that the state should be involved in either, right? Because again, girls should just have the choice as to what they wear to school, um, and they shouldn't really be like, like teachers shouldn't play the role of like personal, almost like <laughs> making public school teachers like those uh, religious police where it's like, hey, just, just so you know, uh, your kid wasn't wearing hijab today. Like, no, like that shouldn't happen either, right? So I think that's maybe a good middle ground where I would I, say, you know. I, I'm not to. entirely sure I, I buy the argument that it's the girl's choice. It seems to me it's for children at the very least. We're, we're talking about the parents' rights over the child and how they... And what they should learn, or how they should learn in school. It does. What do you, what do you mean? It's not the. Girl's it doesn't choice, seem. So I yeah, I'll, I'll explain. It doesn't seem to me like the children are in a position, in a sense, to to make these choices about about religion. It obviously comes from the parents, and the parents want to raise the kids in a particular way, myself included. Um, and it seems to be like we're talking about the rights of the parents more than the rights of the kids. Now, if if the kids were over the age of eighteen, then you know, fine, I, I accept that. Um, and by the by the way, the example you gave was someone coming coming to school in a hijab, taking it off, and then leaving school. Putting it, that's that's what happens in in other secular countries like Turkey and Egypt. But for university, they like they walk outside in the street, in, let's say in Istanbul, but they they cover their head and they step onto university and they take it off. Uh, well, yep. Again, it doesn't doesn't change your arguments. I'm just I'm just adding context. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's perfectly. I mean. I mean, to, to me, I would just say, like, if you have an environment within a school which says, basically, we're not going to tell your parents, essentially, you know, what you wear for the day, right? That's not really our focus as educators. Um, and you've got a bunch of girls who understand that that's their environment and then, you know, still choose to wear the hijab for one reason or another. Um, I would say that is more of a choice. Now, of course, I recognize that social factors in your upbringing make a lot of, you know, that's basically entirely what determines what your personal preferences are, um, you know, it's just, and again, maybe some, I'm open to being convinced on this. It's just that I'm not, I'm not sure if there's like a convincing argument of like, how can we make sure that kids are not, um, you know, taught in their upbringing, like very bad things. Like we can use a non-Muslim church for this. Like the Westboro Baptist church in America is like a famously hateful fundamentalist, like fucking cult, like Christian sect. Um, where they'll have their children literally holding up signs that say um, all, they they don't say gays, but, you know, all gay people should burn in hell and it's wrong to be gay. And um, this gay person who literally we're protesting the funeral of is going to hell. Like, you'll see little kids holding signs like that. I think that's completely, completely abhorrent, right? Like, that's a horrific way to teach uh, your children. Uh, If I was ever in a room with somebody like that, I'd like to think that I would spit on an adult who would teach their children to be so hateful. But in terms of the second question of 
but how does the state manage something like this? Like, I just don't, this is not a good answer in my head for like, how does this, you know, do we consider it abuse to teach your kids about religion and religious teachings? I mean, the answer is maybe, I just don't, well, I just don't think that's probably to, the right answer, right? To, to some degree, parents, parents obviously have rights over their children. And, right. But I, I think, I think in your example of the West Bar Church, obviously it's not a complete solution, but isn't what France doing an av- an average or good solution to that problem. So if you have, so let's say you have the Westboro Church in in France, and and they're teaching hateful stuff to the kids, but when they go to school, they they don't. It's a secular school. They they can't discriminate against other kids. It just it's not allowed. The teachers will stop that. Uh, they can't talk about religious. They can't proselytize anyone. They can't discriminate against anyone so it seems to me isn't isn't the french thing a good solution for this westboro church example um well i don't think necessarily right because as, as far as i'm aware in french schools and obviously in american schools as well you're not allowed to really like for instance if a westboro baptist church kid or like a fundamentalist muslim kid was like calling gay students slurs and stuff like you're going to get in trouble right even though your your basis for that is well god says it's a correct thing to to do to call gay people slurs when we're in school or something like that um, and so there's, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum of things that you can believe in under my framework of like, it's not necessarily the case that like, we can never tell a parent how to parent. For instance, like, you know, we don't allow parents to like rape their children, right? I mean, you, you might be a parent who wants to do that and they're your kid, I guess, but you're not allowed to do that. I don't, I don't care about your parental right, so rights. Putting, to, putting, putting, putting hurting children aside, cause obviously the, the rules for that and you can, you can take the kids away from the parents for that, for that. Thing. I'm just using that as an example, but the example of a kid who's because of religious reasons, calling other kids slurs in class, right, there, again, I think are, like, consequential utilitarian reasons why we do not allow behavior like that, because it's uh, an attack on other students, it interrupts the learning environment, it's not good for broad student success, and it's probably, like, significantly easier for a bigoted child to essentially not express that bigotry in school than it is to say like what some christian parents will say which is that oh like you shouldn't be allowed to be openly gay in a public school like we shouldn't have gay symbology we shouldn't you know gay students should be reported to their parents you know the opposite in the spectrum um whereas i think that the hijab isn't quite a one-to-one example because that's like an interpersonal decision right like there's nothing about I don't, a girl in a classroom wearing a hijab that like I don't think it distracts I, from the overall learning environment, right? So I don't again. I don't think it's an interpersonal decision with children. I think it's I think it's the parents' rights over the child and and, and what religion. Well, but even if it is like the fundamental well, point just, is just because I think it, I think it could be both. It's just the fundamental point that you could respond to to be a bit more productive is like does a girl wearing a hijab because her parents told her to. Does that like take away from the broader learning environment, and does the rule of state involvement in that decision does that itself take away from the broadening learning environment? Obviously, I'm saying no and yes to those two questions. You might say yes and no to those two questions. You know, that's the disagreement, I guess. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't done the, I haven't done the research for that, but I would say this. So, right. in the in the case of the West, I, mean, I feel Bar- similarly. In the case of the Westboro uh, Church example, I'm just going to reiterate my, my point. If you have an environment where it's purposefully secular, purposefully equal, and purposefully neutral, that's the claim. That, and, and you know what? I'm going to I'm going to take on the learning environment as well. 
you have a situation okay. where people can't discriminate, both for religious and, I would assume, socioeconomic backgrounds. Everyone looks the same, acts the same. They can't, in both America and, and France, they can't uh, injure any other kids. They can't, they can't swear at them. But, but here it's very difficult to know who is different. At least that's the idea. Because everyone kind of is the same as much as possible, is equal as much as possible. Now, with regards to learning, when you don't have any of these distractions, then yeah, you, and you, and you, let's say you have, you, you can even use the example of the school uniform. Part of the points for the school uniform is that you, you don't have to worry about what dress Becky wears. Is it nicer than mine? Everyone wears the same dress and they're just, fo they're just being professional. They're focusing mm -hmm. on the education. So I would say, yes, it is a more conducive environment yeah. to study. Well, I think, um, and this this can round out our discussion because I do have to move on uh, to a, to another another discussion within the next fifteen or, or thirty minutes. Sure. Um, is that um, I will agree also that one of the issues with utilitarianism is consequentialism, almost like fundamentally, is that, um, and it's an issue that I think got brought up like two or three years. I don't know how long ago this was, but I was debating on the crucible, and somebody asked the question. I didn't understand. I literally didn't understand the question at the time. Like what? Like what is this person asking? But what they were pointing out was. Um, if you've got one utilitarian and another utilitarian, and then you give them a question, it's they, they just don't necessarily come to the same answer, right? Because sure. again, it's not clear like how we should evaluate what is utility, what are like good and bad consequences, and so that leads to essentially like uh, probably like an internally more vigorous debate. Whereas like a deontologist could just say murder is bad, and then the other deontologist says yeah, murder is bad. Now I'm sure obviously you're you might define murder differently right and you might have different rules in a deontological framework from another deontologist but i take that criticism of utilitarianism seriously like you're bringing up basically a utilitarian argument for why it could be a good thing to do this and i'm bringing up a utilitarian argument for why it could be a bad thing it just comes down to the evidence that actually materializes because of this policy um and you know frankly uh, you know we could uh, uh, two utilitarians could look at the same evidence and still come to different conclusions, right? So it kind of just boils down to, um, you know, the convincingness or like the intuitions of people listening to, you know, two utilitarians discuss a certain issue. Um, but you know, I don't know. That's just the basic moral project that uh, I try to attach myself to. But um, I, I, that's kind of all I can really say about it. Did you have any you have any last things to say? Yeah, go for it. I can add an element to utilitarianism. Part of part of the uh, thing with it is that it, it kind of it. I'm, I'm, exaggerating slightly, but it kind of exhumes you have infinite knowledge about everything to make the best decision, and it's rarely the case that you have all the, all the knowledge. So if, if, for example, I can do intuition pumps with people and give them situations from history, which they may, fi may find abhorrent, and then I, I say, you are now the leader of the country, and run the same um, information that that leader of the country had at the same point, they would make the same decision that they consider abhorrent back then, because they didn't have the context of it as the leader of the country. So I, I, I have done that as well. And I think, I think ultimately the thing that, uh, that frustrates me the most is the intuition elements of it. I, I see intuition as, as unreliable, I'll explain why. They, they change between different cultures, they change between different periods of times in history, and they even change throughout your life. Like when you're younger, you may be more liberal, and when you're older, you may be more conservative. These, they're just they're just so so changing that I, I think moral intuitionism is is not good, and I would prefer something that has a bit more reason and rationality, like moral cognition. Um, so that's that's my key point about um, utilitarian and the fact that I was pretending to be one for this whole debate. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you, know, I, you know, I take that criticism of utilitarianism, consequentialism seriously. I think there are answers to it that are uh, satisfactory to me, I'll say. Um, but I'll give you the last word in, uh, in, in terms of like that being your last word. And uh, yeah, if you want, tell people uh, where they can find you. And if, you know, if people are interested, obviously, uh, for people listening, uh, PZH is a anarcho-capitalist, and we've debated. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I want to say, I'm not. You're not. No. Okay. Well, geez, I, I know that we've. You're more of like a, at least a right-leaning libertarian. I think we've debated on uh, your your idea about cutting the government. Um, oh, oh, you shit, mean my ninety percent UBI? My hold on, so one second. My fucking audio was cut out for a second. Um, so to the, I'll repeat what I just said. Unfortunately, you'll you'll have to hear it again. So. Um, uh, I, 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 what I told PCH while I muted my audio was uh, that uh, I'll give him the last word on that. I won't really respond to what he just said. I think that there's uh, answers to those criticisms of utilitarian consequentialism that I do take uh, to be satisfactory, at least for my moral framework. Um, but obviously, you know, greater minds can disagree. And uh, I was uh, saying that I believe I had debated uh, Philosophical Zombie Hunter on at least one or two other occasions. Um, mm -hmm more of a right-leaning libertarian. I said anarcho-capitalist. He says, I'm not an anarcho-capitalist. I must have uh, been mistaken at some point. But uh, anyway, that's all to say. PZH, where can people find you if they're interested in what you have to say? And uh, what are you kind of, in terms of content, what have you been uh, producing lately that they can check out? I I have been very lazy in terms of producing content. I, I have a Substack, uh, philosophicalzombiehunter.substack.com. I, I have a YouTube channel, which I've neglected severely. Uh, I usually do debates. I I'm more, I'm more, uh, let's say, free market capitalist. I do do believe in some government, but not not without not without any government. And um, philosophy, I usually refer to as objectivism, but I consider myself either a student of that or what I go by today is a techno capitalist. There we go. Um, you'll be you'll be. I think in the last debate we had, we uh, I don't know if I was in favor of a UBI at the point that we debated last time. I am in favor of UBI today, um, although we might have different uh, ideas for how to enact a UBI, uh, obviously, with your idea of basically cutting the administrative state, uh, whereas I would argue for other sources of revenue. But um, So that, that could be an interesting future conversation. But there you go, uh, guys. Uh, Philosophical Zombie Hunter on Substack, obviously on Twitter as well, uh, if you want to check out anything that he's uh, creating. And, you know, yeah, I think this was a really good uh, discussion. I thought it was interesting. Hopefully the audience thought it was interesting as well. Thank you for hosting me. For sure. All right. I'll talk to you later, bud. Bye. Bye-bye.